Hey booze, welcome to Crime and Spirits, your one-stop shop for handcrafted cocktails, spooky stories, and all things true crime. I am your resident bartender, Suze, and I'll be teaching you all a new drink recipe at the beginning of each of our episodes. And I'm Bree, drinker of the drinks, and I write the stories we tell. So, what should you expect while listening to us? Well, good question. There's going to be some swearing. Oh, a lot of swearing. Probably some rambling. Definitely rambling. And most likely a lot of off-topic pop culture references. We specialize in Bob's Burgers and maybe Always Sunny. Definitely. But what do you want from us? We're going to be drinking. And hopefully you will be too. So come hang out with us each week. And if you want to spend more time with us, check out the description for the link to all of our socials. Let's buckle up buttercups and sip tight. Let's get into it. everyone and welcome back to another episode of crime and spirits we're your hosts i'm brie and i'm sue and tonight we're gonna get back into the story of jim jones and the people's temple <sighs> right <sighs> in part one we went over jim's upbringing and subsequent religious journey he ran through quite a bit of different churches trying to find one that fits his own personal belief system until finally he just decided to start one himself That all checks out from what we know about Mr. Jim Jones. Well, in theory, that was all fine and dandy. In practice, it turned out to be much more difficult than he had predicted. When we last left you all, the church was not doing well financially. Jim had prophesied the end of days via a nuclear war that was to take place very specifically in July of 1967. And he was looking to move the entire operation. Hmm, weird. So... Suze is going to give us a rundown because we're drinking the same drink. Yeah, we called it the Purple Punch because as you know, or maybe you don't know, Jonestown ended with a massacre of people drinking purple drinks. Mm -hmm. Our purple drink is delicious and wonderful and may get you a little tipsy so you can Mm -hmm. deal with this horrible story. (laughs) Um, Just to round it out, it was Pinnacle Grape Vodka. It was blue curacao, which if you can't find, it's just for aesthetic purposes because it turns it a really pretty purple color with the other ingredients. Yeah. Um, We used cranberry grape juice and sweet and sour mix that we made from scratch. Mixed all that together and made some purpley deliciousness. And you know us, we had to add a little bit of club soda (laughs) just to make it fizzy. So all in all, I think the drink was good. I think if you want to make it again, I would highly recommend it. If not, we have this ready-to-drink Gloria Margarita (laughs) Wine Cocktail, which if I would have read it closer, it's agave wine (laughs) with other things. Eh, It's it's purple, so it fits the theme-ish here. So that is our backup beverage, but I would highly recommend our made-from-scratch beverage. I (laughs) concur, because it literally tasted like a grape hug drink, and Uh I'm here for it. We decided, yeah, it's the purple hugs, Mm -hmm. guys, so we're all going to need hugs at the end, as we decided previously, so (laughs) it's all working. (laughs) So, where we left off, it's 1964, Jim is checking out locations in California. He is also getting ordained by the Disciples of Christ. At this time, the Disciples' requirements for this varied greatly, and membership was open to pretty much any church. Slash anyone. (laughs) Yeah. So they didn't really, they weren't very discerning with who they allowed to 
be a part of this. Sad face. So Jim was able to align the People's Temple with what essentially equates to mainstream Christianity. And they remained a part of the disciples up until the very end. And you guys might remember from last time, Jim was trying to put the People's Temples, like, with other churches to get access to their people. Right. To more followers, basically. And a lot of the other churches were like, no, thank you. Hard pass. Right. Or, like, Jim decided to move on because they weren't down with, like, the communists. You know, it was always something. Or they weren't feeling his vibe, yeah. Yeah. So Jim eventually finds something suitable for the church in Redwood Valley, California. Because, as you guys remember... He was like, California is where we have to go to stay safe from this inevitable nuclear war. That will destroy the whole world, even though California is still located Except in the world. California. <laughs> Apparently. So they don't start the moving process till the following summer. Jim's assistant pastor was not okay with this. He did not like the idea that they were moving. He tried to resist all the efforts made to move. He had concerns about Jim's motivations, and rightfully so. Well, yeah. He was Mm -hmm. obviously catching on to a lot of the undertones that were happening here. Of narcissism and craziness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He started warning the congregation that Jim was abandoning Christianity completely. Ultimately, he stayed behind and ran what was left of the congregation in Indiana. Approximately 140 of Jim's most loyal followers moved with him to Cali, while the rest decided to stay with the assistant pastor. Hmm. Hmm. Weird. (laughs) So, when the group got to Cali, Jim needed to find some kind of work, so he ended up landing a teaching position at an adult education school where he taught history and government. Interesting. Because just what you want is a communist, crazy person pastor (laughs) teaching other people about about the the government. government. (laughs) Right? What could possibly go wrong here? This sounds... Perfectly reasonable. Uh, to the surprise of literally no one in this room, um, <laughs> Jim began to use his platform to recruit new church members. And within his first few months of teaching, he was actually able to convince 50 new members to join up. That's not insignificant. That is a lot of people. When yeah. you consider class sizes are like 25. Right. So your boy's been busy. Mm-hmm. He was also able to coax 75 of the members that had previously stayed in Indiana to make the move to join them in Redwood Valley, California. Oof. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> in 1968, the California location of the People's Temple gets formally admitted into the Disciples of Christ. This is exactly the kind of thing that Jim lived for. (laughs) He was living. And he immediately used this connection to promote the beliefs of the temple to a massively larger audience. Because of course he did. The disciples at the time had approximately 1.5 million members. That's so many people. Also, I keep reading that as Department of Corrections, so there's that part. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) The way it's abbreviated in our script. (laughs) I was not writing Disciples of Christ 45 times. I just couldn't do it. So I I abbreviated it DOC. (laughs) I love it. It's appropriate, I feel. It is. Very fitting. Jim was really leaning into this alliance and was using every bit of it to his advantage. He misrepresented the nature of his own position and would often play up the fact that the disciples had famous members, which included 
President Lyndon Guys, Johnson. Guys, a president. And also, Jim Edgar Hoover. What? I find that shocking. <laughs> Even though Jim wasn't being transparent in any type of way, the People's Temple's membership count increased to 300. Again, I just think a lot of religion back then was, I want to believe what I am being sold. Mm-hmm. So I will buy into it because I need to believe in something bigger than myself. I feel like that's the basis of religion at any Period. point, yeah. I believe because I want to believe. <laughs> Which is, I mean, fair. Like, I'm not going to knock anybody Not when it's who... a crazy person. Right. Huh? It just makes me sad because it makes me feel like these people were searching for something. And they thought, they they genuinely thought they found something great. And then it's turning into be a bunch and of crap. And who was this guy? So, throughout all of this, Jim was always hiding his communist views from his followers. By the late 60s, though, all bets were off, and he got much more vocal about all of his views, like in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, he began to form his own theology, which combined the teachings of William Branham and the Latter Rain Movement, of Father Divine and his Divine Economic Socialism ideology, and was topped off with the cherry of Jim's own communist <laughs> learnings slash leanings. Sounds awful. That's a horrible cake to have. I, I don't that like sounds it. good. Mm-hmm. Jim called this new belief system the apostolic socialism and began preaching this over traditional Christianity, saying that they, Christians, had an incorrect view of God. So basically, like, you're wrong because you don't believe like we believe. Right. You're wrong. Rude. What? <laughs> that's not, that's literally not how any of that works. <laughs> From what I know of it, right? no, you're doing it wrong. Allegedly. <laughs> um, it's at this point that Jim begins teaching that he was a manifestation of, quote, Christ the Revolution. Mm-mm. He preached that, quote, those who remained drugged with the opiate of religion had to be brought to enlightenment, end quote. He's just jumped right into the... The locomotive of the crazy train. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, <laughs> So that defined socialism as far as he was concerned. Like, if if we really want to talk about socialism, it, <laughs> yeah, it's not what he's saying. Like, not even a little bit. Um, any, it's any of a bunch of different economic and political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods. So, like, like I don't own anything. We all own it. Right. I don't work for anything, we all work for it, like, kind of thing. Individuals do not live or work in isolation, but live in cooperation with one another, which all sounds great on paper. Right. Everything that people produce is, in some sense, a social product. Therefore, everyone who contributes to the production of a good is entitled to share in it. That sounds great. Yep. Society as a whole should own slash control property for the benefit of all. Again, cool beans. I can dig it. Except <laughs> when people are assholes about well, it. And the problem is, again, it's that it's that term revolutionary. You know, it's the intent behind it. When you're talking about socialism in the terms of, like, things like healthcare, I don't really see much of a downside. Right. But if you're talking about socialism in the sense that, like, you want to overthrow the capitalist overlords, like, uh, part of me still doesn't see the downside. Right. But the violence and the anger and the maliciousness behind everything is where it, like, changes. Right. Because this, for all intents and purposes, directly opposes capitalism, and some socialists actually believe that almost everything, with the exceptions of, like, the clothes on your back... 
should be public property. Some socialists accept and or welcome private ownership of farm shops and other small, medium-sized businesses, but centralists want to invest public control property in some kind of central authority, i.e. Russia. <laughs> that does not work. From right. what I've heard, there are people getting stomped on and murdered and thrown in rivers not without their fingerprints or faces. So not going I'm well. good on that. <laughs> um, decentralists believe that decisions regarding um, the use of public property and or resources should be decided by those most directly affected, which makes sense. That would be a local level, level of government. Right. That, to me, is not rocket science. Which, but oddly like, enough, like, doesn't that kind of give you the whole, like, states, state government kind of vibe here in the states? Like, every single state has its own set of laws that yep. is different than other states. Absolutely. Like, we have the federal government that is the umbrella of all the things. Right. But then we have, you know, this other lower levels of government that also dictates things that's contra- we don't believe in uniformity look at the medical marijuana programs it's true federally illegal but statewide like what girl i it makes no sense to me you got me yeah so i don't know it's unfortunate because like now i feel like socialism has just become such a warped definition well again, both of these words we discussed it in the in part one it's people taking a thing that sounds good to lots of people and they're just twisting it to fit their ideology or mm-hmm. what they want you to believe so they're just abusing it <laughs> which ones wrap it in religion and politics in any sort of I was anything, like pick one really. anything <laughs> insert word here right So, as we move into the early 70s, Jim reveals that he fathered a child with a woman other than his wife. Ooh. Not super godly, if you ask me. Well, I don't, if you're God himself, or Christ, or disciple. Any of the things he's claimed. I don't think that's a thing, but. You shouldn't be committing adultery, Isn't that a commandment? That's a commandment. It's literally a commandment. (laughs) That's what I thought. Like, one of the top ten rules of things that you're not supposed (laughs) to do. Hmm. So there's this little boy named John Victor. Um, Jim also really began pushing back against Christianity at this time, and he would refer to it as, quote, a flyaway religion, which seems like a super rude thing to say. That's basically just a punch in the nuts yeah. to Christianity, because Christianity gave him also everything. real rich coming from him, right, sir. He also claims that <coughs> Christianity just observes a quote-unquote sky god who was quote-unquote no god at all i'm absolutely quoting around that because i don't want anybody mad at me because i don't i don't think those things (laughs) he gets really crazy here and claims that he himself was god like he is just fully committed at this point calling himself like the highest being in the land and he would continue to promote the idea that there is no god besides him and that he was truly divine which, in my opinion, is definitely, like, an acceleration of his behavior. You That's know what like, I mean? Like, you go from zero to cuckoo bananas, like, within five years or whatever. Right. It's that power thing, though. He always struck me as somebody who didn't have anything. And once right. he got something, he was like, well, I'm going to sink my little claws into this and hold on to it for the life of me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, kind of like your typical poor person who gets handed a million dollars because they won the lottery. Likely, 
It's not going to go well. I always think of MC Hammer and how he gave money to everybody that worked with him or was related to him or mm-hmm. knew his cousins, brothers, sisters, right. uncle <laughs> one time. Yeah. Yeah. And it had, like, blew up in his face a little bit. He's fine. <laughs> Jim told all of his followers that he alone, he alone, was sent to share the true meaning of the gospel, that all other leaders are corrupt, and they were just trying their hi- their best to hide it. He took things even further and circulated a piece that he wrote titled, The Letter Killeth. Which, I mean, like, he was, he was like just it. going for, like, the most, like, obvious and just, like, overt, like, I am going to attack you now. Right. In the writing, Jim heavily criticized the King James Bible. He said that King James was nothing more than a capitalist slave owner that was responsible for the corrupt translation of the scripture, which, I mean, like, he might be onto something with that. That that might be accurate, because as we all know, Jesus wasn't white, despite what everybody wants to believe. (laughs) Watch out. I'm just saying, (laughs) y'all. Just saying. Oh, uh, don't even get me started. He also um, cemented this by rejecting the Bible as a tool of religious teaching, citing that instead it was a tool used to oppress women and everyone who wasn't white, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Well, and I have found the older I've gotten that there is a Bible verse that knocks down whatever it is you want. Right. Tattoos, piercings, being a lesbian, Somebody gay, come so talk on to and me so forth. I'm you... like, What? Come talk to me about the textile thing also. I, like, I don't can't. even get me started. I can't. There's so many things that it's like, if you really want to nitpick, like... So, I look at it as poorly structured, kind of like our the way our law in the U.S. is, is written. Because it's left up to interpretation. Yeah. And when left up to interpretation... It can That go just awry. leaves room yeah. for both sides to manipulate the text. Yep. Because I feel like for every Bible verse there is to, like condemn someone there's also a bible verse that could support why they should be able to love who they want to love or i don't know have rights as a woman (laughs) like be able to be treated equally as a person who isn't white because that all none of that should exist in the first place like none of those should be questions again though i'd be curious to see the original (laughs) i i would be curious where's the original bible at i'm going there (laughs) (laughs) like produce the evidence please show me So, he's just really, like, going... Going in. Off the deep end. And he just starts rejecting the tenets practiced by the disciples of Christ, which was few at the time. And instead, he would use the holy communion practices taught to him by Father Divine. Which I don't know if you guys remember, but he was a black guy from Philadelphia who had a discipleship and... It was all, what, like, service to others he and stuff like that and communal the, living? Yes, and he is also the one that taught Jim Jones about discipline mm. and things of the like. Mm. So he definitely plays a key role in this whole situation. So he's got that. He even created his own baptismal formula Ugh. and would baptize converts, quote, in the holy name of socialism. Which What? The thing, you know what really grinds my gears about this, too? As so many things with this case, but like this goes against everything I believe in is like separation of church and state because it's literally bringing political ideas into a, like a it's religious It's a political setting. ideology that he's baptizing them into. Like, right. That doesn't make any sense. None of it makes sense. <laughs> like, uh, drugs are a hell of a drug. Uh, <laughs> he once said that, quote, if you're 
in if you're born in capitalist America, racist America, fascist America, then you're born in sin. But if you're born in socialism, you're not born in sin. Okay. Which I also find very interesting because, like, literally Russia and China and all of these communist countries are literally fascists. Like, I don't... None of them seem very nice, having not ever been there nor ever wanting to no. go there. I'm okay. That's part <laughs> Hard pass. <laughs> not curious about that at all. He would also go on to teach that American capitalist culture was, in fact, irredeemable. So basically, you're all screwed. I mean, that's fair, considering where we're at now. But we don't have that. <laughs> he didn't. He wasn't predicting it for good reasons. Right. They were. It was rooted in his his selfish need to feed his ego. So as we've stated before, we did in part one. We're gonna say it again several times. Jim Jones was not stupid. No. This man was not a dummy. He kept those kinds of crazy claims that would make outside people be like. <gasps> Wait, what? (laughs) Clutching my pearls. Exactly. He kept them within the four walls of his own congregation. He did tell them that, quote, I am come as God's socialist, end quote, and that he expected full cooperation and not only cooperation, but admiration from them. Mm -hmm. How about you kiss my ass? Yep. He was very specific in that, from Mm -hmm. what I understand. Yeah. According to a former follower, Jim was quoted as saying, what you need to believe in is what you can see. If you see me as your friend, I'll be your friend. As you see me as your father, I'll be your father. For those of you that don't have a father, if you see me as your savior, I'll be your savior. Mm. If you see me as your God, I'll be your God. No, thank End you. End quote. Does that not sound like some... The ramblings of a crazy man? Yes. Mm-hmm. But... And still, you guys, there are people just sitting there in awe, like, how are we so blessed to have this man as our prophet right Mm -hmm. here with us right now? Honestly. Woo! Woo! (laughs) So this is really when Jim starts leaning into cult leader. Yeah. Because he's got the rapt attention of these people who are like, you are God. You're right. I feel like this is when we really kind of see this shift. Because we've seen it. He's shifting away from any actual religious teachings. Well, because for for the most part, they're like, maybe don't be God. Right. (laughs) Maybe don't do that. Maybe don't claim that. I don't care for it. So left turn. No one's more powerful than him. You're not him. No. So he truly, honestly, honest to goodness at this point, expected to be acknowledged as godlike among his followers. And the real question is, did Jim believe any of his own teachings or was it just a tool of manipulation so that he could just have total control over every member of the temple? Was it a narcissistic thing? Was it... I think the answer is yes. All of it. I think all of it. I think that there is a very good chance that because of his upbringing, he very much wanted to fix what was wrong in this world. Let's be real about it. Racism fucking sucks and it It shouldn't exist. Like, religious oppression sucks and shouldn't exist. I mean, there's so much happening even today that shouldn't be happening and we're still fighting for specific he was just going about it in such like a weird subterfuge kind of like under the radar kind Mm -hmm. of crazy way that i just can't do it right no and i agree and i think that it's was rooted in this really great idea of wanting to change the world and when he got his first taste of power 
I think it really, or maybe, and maybe that even happened in his childhood when he was with that Nazarene pastor yeah. and his wife. Like maybe he saw people that, listening to yeah, someone he, and focusing on someone, mm-hmm. and he was like, "That could be me." Because we did mention in part one, like he had good intentions yeah. at some point. He integrated a lot of things in Indiana. Like he did do some good. His right. church was fully integrated for all intents and purposes. It's just. But now we're going to see how negative all the things that, yeah. What he took, what he made from that. He took, yeah, I don't know how to explain it. It's like he took something good and mushed it and turned it into something really awful. Well, I think that. Halfway decent. Everything (laughs) just has, like, there's that underlying, like. There's that undercurrent of selfishness, like, like, I want to be the big guy, be it God, be it the boss, be it the head preacher, be it the healer, be it the whatever. Literally whatever hat he had on that day. So like your typical doomsday cult, there was constant talk of the apocalyptic nuclear race war that was fast approaching, according to Jim. And it's true, that's what they're like. That's what Scientology, doomsday cult. Jehovah's Witnesses doomsday call. I was just gonna say, you said <laughs> like, in part one that your mom was encouraged not to like educate herself and every have children because what's the point? Every woman in my family You're all gonna be dead was soon told anyways. that. I was told that. Like I was told that. It Armageddon happened, yes, though. And with the when the pandemic happened, oh my god, they had so much. They were like living, like oh my gosh, the pandemic, Armageddon. I I follow a lot of like ex JW member things and things like that because like coming out of it and admitting that it is a cult was hard well it's like a shock slash detox slash peeling your skin off like Mm -hmm. all melded into one horrible it's one thing to be like I no longer believe this as my religion and my faith and my belief system to then be like oh my god I was part of something that's inherently really dangerous and also I'm going to be questioning everything from here on out kind of thing and so like it's doomsday cults like that's that's their whole point right like that's the whole thing is they get you by fear and so, Sons of you know, Jim really hones in on this a lot. He t- continues to make outlandish claims, like how he was the Messiah sent to save the members of his congregation. Of course he was. He also claimed <laughs> that Nazis and white supremacists would put people of color into concentration camps. I mean, not wrong. I think he was taking but... a lot of things that, that did happen that were rooted in racism and, you know, things like that. One, well, for a lot of people, that was very fresh in their minds it at was. this point. That was, what, 20 years removed yeah. from exactly. the Holocaust. So, like, I could see how that could be used as a fear-mongering The tactic. world was still healing from that, for sure. And this is exactly how he was able to manipulate these people. Because he would tell them things like, you can survive the apocalypse, but only if you accept my teachings and only if you do what I tell you to do. That way, like, you know, like that way, if they follow the teachings correctly, then they would emerge from the nuclear war and establish a perfect communist society, which is ultimately what these people wanted. (sighs) Jim would often preach that the ends justified the means, and because of this, they were authorized to achieve his vision in any way he pleased. The, this belief specifically pointed outsiders to think that Jim didn't actually practice what he preached because he was morally bankrupt. Mm-hmm. 
Which I'm inclined to believe. Yeah. Because even if there was a positive or even a good intention, it there's not anymore. From well, this point forward, there is no such thing as good intention. That's a good intentions. point. Any positivity that he did reap from, from his actions is null and void after, like, everything that's mm-hmm. going to be happening from Absolutely. here on out. So, despite all of his bravado, Jim was in constant fear of being found out because he didn't want the fact that he was a communist to become public knowledge outside of the congregation. He was concerned that political leaders would pull their support and that it would likely risk the rejection of the temple from the disciples. He was also quite afraid of losing the tax-exempt status Mm. that the temple held. It's weird. It's almost like that's very... Self-serving. Yeah. How strange. Um, If that were to happen, all of the financial dealings of the church would have to be reported to the IRS. And none of those were good. Just so we're clear. (laughs) This is exactly what, like, the whole issue is with Scientology now, even. Like, the whole point behind Leah Remini and her doing her thing is to expose them for what they're doing. Right. Because Scientology is tax exempt. Right. And it shouldn't be. So, Jim is still dealing with the extreme paranoia, and this is only worsened by his illicit drug usage, Mm -hmm. which was apparently running rampant, from what I read, up from this point up until the very bitter end. Yeah. Um, However, he just used this paranoia as yet another manipulation tactic with his followers. I think it just fueled his fire. His fire to be like, I need to convince these people further. Because I do think that we get to a point where, like, he, I, I think that he does genuinely believe that he is under attack, but in a way that his, a different way than his believers believe. Right. If that makes sense. No, that does. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was a personal attack against him, whereas the followers thought that it was the, like, because of their beliefs, whereas right. it really wasn't. It was because he was creating this terrible environment. And not feeding people or giving anybody money. Because, like, what he would do is, like, he would just often warn them of this enemy that was looking to destroy them. And the identity of the enemy changed over time, starting with the KKK, and then it went to Nazis. Because there were a lot of African-American and black people, Latino people that were a part of his congregation, so they would have reason to fear people like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. For sure. And then he said that, like, redneck vigilantes were after them before accusing the American government, which is kind of, like, where he stuck after the this. The redneck vigilantes just really got like, me. Like, he specifically used those terms. They I stuck don't in my craw because, like, what? Why are you just making stuff up? <laughs> exactly. I mean, that might could be a thing, but, like, what? I think it just speaks to him pulling literally anything out of thin air. Right. And just, just to see what stuck, I think. Just to see what would work. Because yeah. if it didn't, he moved on. Like, the American government worked at right. that point. Because this is a point in which the bulk of his congregation would it's be true. very Scared fearful of the, government. of the government. And rightfully so. Jim would command his followers to be aggressive when promoting his beliefs slash fulfilling his mission. He would tell his followers that they must stay true to his teachings and that being unfaithful would result in fires, car accidents, physical harm. Like, basically saying that, like, not only are you going to be affected, but, like, your environment around you. The car accidents, though, what? Oh, and even dust. So they're going to cut your brake lines? Like, sir, I have some questions. 
The fact that people bought into it again, I just... Well, I mean, he disguised these commands as prophecies. True. But... And if you believe that what he... If you believe that he's the, the Messiah, you're certainly going to listen to him. It, that, that's literally I saw it firsthand. You know what I mean? Like all it takes. True, you do have a very unique. You know uh, what I mean? Like on it. you literally all you need to believe. Like you, once you believe, you're hook, line, sinker. You're okay. gonna listen to whatever they have to the say. The thing that gets me though is that Jim Jones was not raised as a crazy prophetic right. latter rain potato person. Well, he kind of was. He just sort of had all sorts of different upbringings, mm-hmm. and he just mushed it all together to make this well i think it was a combination of his political leanings and just everything that's happened to him like over his young adult life like i think it was very clear where he was going with things yeah and like we said it very likely could have started with some kind of positive intention minimal as it may be but we are at the point now where that is not existing right we're, we're in crazy town now. Yes. <laughs> um, so Jim's vision is heavily based in his communist beliefs. A part of that is living a communal lifestyle. So he set up a planning commission because, of course, he did. Mm-hmm. This was made up of Jim's lieutenants, and they were instructed to direct the People's Temple members towards communal living. So I'm, I'm going to assume it was through, like, strength and not finesse, is my <laughs> guess. Um It was through this that Jim was able to begin to control literally every aspect of their lives. Members had to turn over any and all of their assets in exchange for room and board when joining the temple. If you happen to work outside of the temple, you had to turn your entire income over. Yeah. It was also expected that you would use it for the benefit of the community rather than keep it just for yourself. Okay, check. Hence the whole, like, communal living thing. Right. Other demands of Jim's included, his followers must work on various projects of his choosing. Uh, They did this for added income, I think within the community, right? I believe so. Um, They had to set up some kind of agricultural operation and begin growing their own food. Another requirement of membership was to perform acts of community service, which took members across the region, and many of them actually did aid in large-scale community outreach programs, which, yay. But at this stage in the game, I just can't You're help cult, but though. feel like it's... Um, it's forced labor. Well, and also to make them look good. Oh, because sure. it's all about the image with Jim. It really it really was all about the image with The planning Jim. commission is where things really went, like, up a notch, if you will. Why do you have lieutenants? That makes right. me think of, like, the mob or something. Like, right. you need enforcers and stuff. Because to me, lieutenants mean enforcers in this something, instance. Something, right? Like, it just has a very negative connotation to it. Because I know it's not military, so right. I know it's not fulfilling the actual, like, lieutenant-like duties of the right. military. So, like, or, like law enforcement of any kind. Right. Really, like, <laughs> it's nothing good. It's nothing good. Things go from bad to worse when the planning commission begins to dole out punishments. They were to discipline any member who was not following Jim's vision or, more importantly, not following the rules. And this is where... You lose me. <laughs> right. I, we say rules with quotes. Yeah. Because they're like made up pretend things that Jim just was like, these are right. the rules now. I like, I kind of read it as like he laid down his own commandments, if you will. Right. You know, Jim's reach into the private lives of his members knew zero bounds. Like he would dictate who was allowed to get married or have children. Ooh. He would coerce, force, 
women to have abortions no. if he did not want them pass on to that. have children. Jim began to require sexual favors from women, specifically wives of the followers, which I think is just a power play. Oh, for sure. Like, look what I can do. Yeah. And they were like, yep, we're powerless to stop you. Exactly. And then he would also sexually assault the men that? in his okay, congregation. So can I just say with an asterisk, I did not know this part of it either. I was aware that that was an allegation made against him. I I just I guess that just got lost in all the other batshit craziness that's happening. It's but another, I never knew that he just assaulted everybody yeah. equally. It's another manipulation tactic. It's another way to wear you down. I mean, think about what happens when you are an abuse victim. You know what I mean? Over time, you are going to just it just becomes more and more acceptable to be. It's just the normal, yeah. Exactly, and I feel like that's what he was going for. You know. That's just. Because if you dared to rebel against any of his wishes, you were given reduced food rations, harsher work schedules, public ridicule and humiliations, and even physical violence. And this is, I think, why he was so hellbent on having people do things like community service, because I think this was always his end goal. Right. Or at least has been for a while now. Right. And that he knew (laughs) that he needed to make a good name for himself, because it wasn't always going to be able to stay that way. It got to the point where his membership was growing, Jim needed to make sure he was able to keep his control. So he added armed security to the whole situation. Because hmm. that's always a good sign in a church that you when need your armed pastor guards. needs armed security. <laughs> and this gave Jim peace of mind because not only would they keep his followers in line, but they guaranteed his personal safety as well because they're his armed guards. They weren't even there for the safety of his his members. Well, it's not like to control the crowds or anything like right. that. It's to protect Jim Jones. Correct. So, uh, yet again, not yet another notch in that narcissistic belt mm-hmm. there. Um, so by the end of 1969, Jim's teachings of economic socialism and racial equality gained a lot of popularity because I do feel like this was a message people wanted to hear Absolutely. at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was particularly attractive to young adults mostly students and racial minorities by the time we hit the 70s the temple had opened three more branches throughout california they were in san San fernando los angeles and san francisco which is where they relocated their headquarters because derp san fran (laughs) was the obvious choice for them since they were known for holding radical protest movements like every five minutes yeah it was the summer of love etc etc you know meet me in san francisco with flowers in your hair right so So, there were so many reasons as to why that just seems like the most logical choice for them well and i feel as though there were a lot of people that hitchhiked or did whatever wound up in san francisco with nowhere else to go so something like this could be very attractive for people like that oh for sure for sure jim's priorities was his was growing his congregation and he had somewhat of an aggressive strategy for this if you will uh one way he accomplished this he would make alliances with reporters and press outlets so they would be more likely to run favorable pieces on him and the temple Hence the community outreach and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. And two, he began targeting other churches. This is where he went very much on the offense. After settling into their new home in San Francisco, Jim rounded up 150 of his members. That's not like a small group of people either. Like that's so significant. 
And took a little trip to a local missionary Baptist church, and there he held a faith healing meeting right outside of the building. One that was designed to impress the crowd. Because of course it was. He claimed to heal a man of his cancer, and the crowd just ate it up with a fucking spoon. And little did they know, that whole scenario was a setup. To close out the affair, he condemned and attacked Baptist teachings and encouraged anyone who followed that line of belief to abandon them in favor of the temple. And from what I understand, it got, like, really rowdy and, like, really kind of scary for some people to, like, be around that kind of environment. Because Jim got exactly what he wanted out of that spectacle. He hyped up the crowd so much and 200 more people joined the People's Temple. That's crazy. 200 from that one event? Wild. That doesn't surprise me. Um, Jim pulled another stunt in 1971 that was not quite as successful. (laughs) Um, again, Jim rounded up a whole bunch of his followers with the intention of visiting the tomb of Father Divine this time. This occurred shortly after Divine's passing, so it, from what we read, it was either a celebration of life or the actual funeral itself. Um, there was a banquet that same evening where the members of the temple took over the event completely, just being so disrespectful of Father Divine and his family and his congregation and whatever, Um, during this, Jim confronted Divine's wife and told her in no uncertain terms that he, Jim Jones, was the reincarnation of Father Divine. (laughs) She was mad as hell. (laughs) Not having it. Rightfully so, spitting venom. (laughs) And she told Jim exactly where he could go with himself. While demanding that he and his followers leave the premises, she yelled at Jim that he was the devil in disguise just as a parting shot. Mm-hmm. I really like her. I, I'd right. want to be like, Ch, I'm <laughs> sorry you had to put up with it, but Ch. I couldn't. Good job, girl. They were obviously grieving in some manner. Like, it was some sort of formal event. Like, there wasn't a lot of details on exactly what went well, down it, other than it, that. It, but... it could have been the funeral. It could have been, like I said, just a celebration yeah. of life type deal thing. Either way. Do. It was something... That's very disrespectful. Yeah, it was, it was something <laughs> You don't that, just show up and commandeer somebody's funeral. That's not how that works. Right. He should not... I, I don't know. know. But, you know, we can see what he was trying to go for there. He was just trying to exert more of his, like, alpha prowess, Flex if you them will. muscles. Especially since somebody who he, like, learned from and, like, was taking teachings took, from. I was gonna say took from. <laughs> like, it's just gross. He's gross. <laughs> that same year, there were some negative articles ran in the press about Jim. And I feel like this was kind of like the first round, if you will. Of negative press? Yeah. yeah. About him and his healing service that was held in Indianapolis. The one where the whole cancer thing happened. Yeah. So some people decided to look a bit more into that moment. A doctor got involved with this whole investigation and straight up accused Jim, and I love this, of quackery. I love it. I'm going to start accusing people of such nonsense. Well, and also, I love this story because I was like, yes, good for you, doctor, yes. sir, person. Honestly. More so this power to, yeah. doctor was demanding that Jim hand over tissue samples. Mm-hmm. What samples, you may ask? Well, apparently, according to Jim, a type of material fell off of or out of the people... That he healed. Ooh, out of. Ew. Like projectiles like, out of their like faces. this is like the bad thing leaving your yep. body. Mm-hmm. 
This investigation slash accusation caused quite a stir within the temple. Jim was terrified that his tactics were about to get discovered and be proven false. And this fear was not unfounded because in 1972, there were more articles in various media outlets claiming that Jim's powers were a hoax. I find that shocking. What? Shocking. Um, as I'm sure you'll remember from part one, if you didn't, let's refresh. Jim used to perform healing miracles, quote unquote, all the time when he was hanging out with William Branham and the latter Rain Peeps. There was one event, just as an example, where a member was healed, quote unquote, of her broken arm in front of the congregation, had her cast taken off, like the whole nine yards, like the whole thing. Her arm was fine, dear sweet hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. However, this woman did not recall hurting herself at all. What? So what had actually happened was she was drugged, had a cast put on her perfectly fine arm, <laughs> and upon awakening was told that she had fallen and broken said arm. So this is just one example. There were many instances where Jim would have some members of his inner circle join the prayer line at these events. When it came to be their turn, Jim would quote-unquote heal them, of their cancer, which would result in that member coughing up the offending quote-unquote tumor in front of the crowd. Yes. It gets grosser, however. Obviously, this person didn't have cancer at all. It was all for show, and the tumor was nothing more than a chicken gizzard. What? These people Like are the planning, so... though, and like the creepiness here's the thing okay so yeah. my question about the cast thing did nobody found it odd that it just came off that they didn't have to like cut it off of her body because that's not how broken arms work i watched a criminal minds like that <laughs> where he was in a cult and he was hiding a note in his cast on his not broken arm so who knows i don't know I, maybe they took that from here you know what I'm saying, though? Like, no, you're right. I was just sitting here thinking as I was, like, Back going then, through though, it. Back then, did casts just come off of your arm? I guess slash maybe. Hand? Like, they just came off? I'm going to I don't Google know, because now they have to cut them off with, like, a circular That's saw. what I'm saying. Now I'm going to have to figure out how casts were made. Who knows, though? Back thing. then, it was like, you broke your leg. Here's a sling. You'll yeah, be fine. That could be. That, that's more likely what it was, honestly. But still, it just made me chuckle to, like, think of, like, I'm that person who would have been in the crowd and been like, that's not how you take a cast off, though. Right. The chicken, the <laughs> like, chicken gizzards really got me. That like, does not So you had to put that in your mouth and cough it up? How long did you have to have that in your, Ooh, in your person? Oh, <sighs> Just no. to wait to get healed? I don't... This is just... Couldn't do it. Too much. Um, so Jim's real specialty was to have special revelations about different individuals during these healing things um these revelations were supposedly revealing hidden details of their lives mm. he was however provided this knowledge by his own people so he could come across as a super clairvoyant kind of like i know everything type of person it'd be just such a shame if he was accused of being a hoax because right clearly <laughs> that could never be true <laughs> These people in his team would call the potential recruits at their homes and ask very detailed questions under the guise of just doing an examination. These people would answer the questions because why the fuck wouldn't they answer right, the questions? Absolutely. And Jim wanted it to just seem as if he had superhuman powers, which he got away with. Right. For a while. For a 
hot, hot minute. minute. By 1973, the temple had reached over 2,500 members and had over 30,000 subscribed to the fundraising newsletter. That's crazy. That's a very significant amount of people. The church was growing rapidly due to Jim's aggressive strategies. While staying in San Francisco, Jim decided to dip his toe into politics a little bit, and he became an active member of a mayoral campaign in 1975. The candidate... George Moscone won the 1975 election and in turn appointed Jim as chairman of the San Francisco Housing Authority Commission. That's crazy. Such a significant position, right? He would frequently host the local political figures at his home where they would discuss who knows what. Harvey Milk, the first openly gay man to be elected to public office in California, began to speak at the temple. They would hold political rallies there, and Milk That's crazy. fell in love with what Jim was building. He wrote to Jim after one of the rallies and said, and I quote, Reverend Jim, it may take me many a day to come back down from the high that I reached today. I found something dear today. I found a sense of being that makes up for all the hours and energy placed in a fight. I found what you wanted me to find. I shall be back, for I can never leave. That's terrifying. So I just had to Google George Moscone. Oh, okay. Because I was like, that name tied with Harvey Milk is very familiar to me. Mm-hmm. That's because they were both assassinated. Oh. <laughs> that the one the the man that killed Harvey Milk, Dan White, also killed George Moscone. Oh, you know what? Now that you say in November all of, that, of 1978, yeah. That's right after this happened, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, that was 1975, but it was, like, right around that No, I mean, time. like, right after <coughs> Jones the mm-hmm. massacre Yeah. Itself. I just had to Google it because oh, I shit. was like, that name's really familiar. I don't know why I didn't tie it together before. Yeah, I didn't either. I That's didn't even crazy. think of it. That is crazy. It's just crazy to see people that are so, from everything I've read, smart and enlightened, and they're just hook, line, and sinker, like, we're in it. <laughs> right. In it. Um, So, while Jim is rubbing his dirty little elbows with California's political elite, a former follower of his, Ross Case, began working with an outside group whose intention was to investigate the People's Temple. This group was able to uncover the truth about the staged healings, the abusive treatment of at least one person in the church, and evidence that Jim had sexually assaulted at least one man. Jim was made aware of this and became even more paranoid that the authorities were after him, which they should have been. Mm -hmm. Um, They made all this information available to the local police, but literally nothing was done with it. Um, Around this same time, eight members of the congregation came out and actually accused the planning commission and the temple staff members of abuse, homosexuality, and said that their commitment to socialism was questionable. Dun, dun, dun. Then these eight members actually left the church. Thank goodness. Good for them. Um, Jim was not thrilled with this, because of course he wasn't, <laughs> and felt as if he was losing control of everything. So he was convinced now more than ever that the People's Temple had to relocate, or at least partially, like, get out of town, get out of Dodge. <laughs> um, it was the only way for them to escape any threats and or allegations that were coming at him specifically, not even the church, but... right. And that's the key here. 
They began to make plans for this and had some votes within the group. It was decided that Guyana would be perfect for them. And they just had a revolution take place, so they had a social government at the time. And Jim was well-received there during his previous trips, which we touched upon in part one. That was almost a decade ago at this point, so... Right. Hmm. But, I mean, with it being an English-speaking British colony, it, it was... It, it, it makes sense. Like, it was... It fits, I guess, for what he was trying to do. Smack dab in the middle of the jungle. So, the group also decided that what they were going to do was set up an agricultural commune there. Commune. So Jim began traveling back and forth so he could start like scouting out locations. Seems to Jim that Guyana was truly his second choice because it was stated in an interview. He said that he was sad that they couldn't settle in China or the Soviet Union. He went on to say that Lenin and Stalin were his personal heroes and that the Soviet Union was his ideal society. It's a sad ideology to have. Honestly. When that would like okay let's just say hypothetically speaking okay I bought everything up until this point if I heard that I'd be like mm. can you even imagine though if the Soviet Union so. was like come on down God <laughs> would if he that be ruling like Russia happened? at this point I don't even want to <laughs> go down that rabbit hole I That's shudder scary. to think <laughs> um so amid all of this. December 13th, 1973, Mr. Jim Jones <laughs> is arrested for lewd conduct. <gasps> what? <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, he was caught masturbating in a movie theater restroom near L.A.'s MacArthur Park. Gross. From what he could find, this took, from what we could find, this took place in the presence of a male undercover officer. Charges were initially filed upon arrest, but just a week later... Just completely dropped. Nobody really actually knows why things went down this way because the judge ordered that all the records regarding this arrest be destroyed and any files were completely sealed. Yeah. Hmm. It's almost like he had ties. Right? <laughs> it's almost like there was political corruption. What? I won't believe it. That's... Back then, I know it's bad now, but back then it was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that they just got better at hiding it now. Oh, for sure. <laughs> With, like, the internet and everything. Yeah. It's just so easy to do so much shady shit. I mean, look at Or, at this and... point in life, you could just handwrite it and be like, oh, it must have gotten lost in the filing. Honestly. <laughs> wink, Honestly. Wink. <laughs> By the time we got to the summer of 1974, land and supplies in Guyana were locked in and secured. By the end of the year, the first group of members made their way to South America. They were tasked, tasked with beginning operations on the commune. Jim was dealing with all the negative press that he, and by default, the temple, was receiving at the time. There were more articles published, none of them positive, some of them including allegations by defectors. Again, we are seeing people who were trying to speak out about the physical, emotional, and physical abuse that they suffered while in the temple. But yet nothing was coming Happening, from it. Happening, yeah. This was the last straw for Jim. Uh, and he had decided that it was time to permanently relocate the entire organization. And it seems like a stretch to me, though, because Jim was still really highly respected outside of the church for, like, all he had done within the community, despite all the bad press. So, like, it kind of seems as if he was, like, 
oh, there's something bad that was said about me, despite still having all these really positive connections and relationships to people, still was like, gotta go. I think it was just his paranoia yeah. in his own brain. Like, he was just losing it, I think. Well, and I think he and was... And taking everybody with him. And I think he feared losing control of his people. That too. Now that he Ultimately, had a gross, you know what I mean? Icky, horrible hold. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Um, Jim was promoting the commune as a socialist paradise and a sanctuary from the scrutiny they were under from the media. He would go on about how this was a, um, going to be a model communist community, compelling members to go with them to the new settlement that only the purest communists lived there. Which, he was really what? trying to... And none of his sentences make sense. Like, he, these are all the words that he used. Specifically. Those are actual quotes, yeah. Yeah. Because he's batshit crazy. But he he was basically trying to really go with, like, we are going to create the thing that I've been telling you we've wanted this entire time. Right. Look at us go. Yeah, basically. Um, he was able to convince people, and they did make their way to Guyana. Once they arrived at Jonestown, however, they were informed that they were not allowed to leave. He actually began confiscating passports and effecti- effectively trapped all of his people there, which... <laughs> what? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And that's... the. I think that was the first moment that people really started seeing the mask slip. Right. So, in the beginning of 1977, Jonestown was officially, like, a thing. They had about 50 settlers initially. Jim was advised that the facility that they currently had like at that moment was only able to support approximately 200 people but again as we've seen countless times now jim just didn't listen to anything he was slash hair he was determined to expand the commune by all necessary means just under six months after their arrival jim and 600 more members arrive on in the space that was adequated for 200 right (laughs) Okay. So now we're at 600, what, six, eight, 850 people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Within the next few months, the commune would see about 400 more people settle there. Before traveling to Jonestown himself, Jim started selling out all the assets that the temple had in the States, which equaled out to be about $10 million, uh, equal to about $42 million in 2020. That literally made my eyeballs, like, pop out of my head. I guess, though, with three different locations in California, mm-hmm. that's good money And right technically there. speaking, I'm pretty sure he still had his location in Indiana also. Was that his to sell? Or did he just do it? I have so many I don't questions. think he would have <laughs> gave a shit. Like, he was probably True. just I'm like, doing this. yeah. Flips hair. I he did created this. Flip. <laughs> Um, so here's where we're going to start, um, going over some of the events that take us on the journey of the deterioration that the people of Jonestown had to suffer through. Yeah. Um, because things were really not cool there, even from the get-go. Yeah. He claimed it was a utopia and this perfect commune and et cetera, et cetera, and it was none of those things. It was basically like a labor camp. Yeah. People were worked very hard and not fed a lot. It was just caca. So we're going to start at the beginning. Um, in January of 1977, Jim takes him, his happy booty to Cuba on behalf of a company that he had founded in San Francisco. He wanted to establish an import export relationship with Cuba just in general. Um, however, Fidel Castro refused to see Jim and that made him super butthurt. Yep. 
we think bruised ego. Mm-hmm. We'll just go with butt hurt. But he was, for all intents and purposes, pissed. Yeah, not happy. <laughs> In the fall of 1977, a group of temple defectors joined together, and they called themselves the Concerned Relatives, which I thought was really sweet. I know. They all had... It was, because they all had family members living in Jonestown that were not allowed to leave, despite some of them wanting to. Actually wanting to leave, yeah. So, a man named Timothy Stowen was essentially the group leader. Now, the thing about... Tim. Yeah. He was father to a little boy named John Stowen, who was living with Jim at this time. On John's birth certificate, his parents are listed as Timothy and Grace Stowen. Jim claimed, though, that he was John's father because he was in a sexual relationship with Grace at the time of conception. Probably against her will. Right. Grace ultimately left the church in 1976, which I think just confirms our theory. Suspicions. She, she left Timothy and John behind. Timothy followed in the June of next year. But it wasn't until... But he wasn't able to take John with him. And then the following February, John was actually taken to Guyana to live with the Joneses' family. And something that really did him a disservice in this, for whatever reason, probably against Under his duress, own will, yeah. Tim did sign an affidavit that confirmed Jim as John's father. Okay, so I'm going to go back to Criminal Minds <laughs> with the guy with the cast. Yes. He was the dad of a child in the congregation, and a member of the congregation was going around killing unfaithful people. <gasps> yes. So the dad tried to get into the cult to infiltrate it to get his son back because the son, the boy's mother had been murdered. Yes, I remember this yeah. one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm curious if this is from this. Wouldn't be surprising. Hmm. All right. So Timothy goes to the State Department in D.C. He filed his grievances against Jim Jones and the temple to try and get his son back. This brings in California Congressman Leo Ryan, bless his god dang heart. <laughs> he wrote to the Guyanese Prime Minister on behalf of Timothy because he really felt like he had a case. Yeah. He had something to say, you know what I mean? Like, but unfortunately, because John was in another country, there are proper channels you have to go through. Proper, proper channels. Proper channels, my ass. Um, concerned relatives began basically just a legal custody battle with the temple. While most of Jim's political buddies broke up any ties with him when he left the states, not all of them did. Mayor Moscone, I have some questions for you, sir. Yeah. Sorry, R.I.P. He actually, his office issued a statement that Jones had broken no laws and right. therefore should not be punished. Which brings us to April of 1978. Um, The the concerned relatives distribute a packet of several different documents, letters, and affidavits to pretty much anybody that will take one. (laughs) Um, But specifically, members of the press, of Congress, and of the People's Temple themselves. They titled it, quote, Accusation of Human Rights Violations by Reverend James Warren Jones, end quote. Two months later, another affidavit is added. This one is written by a member that was actually able to escape Jonestown. They spoke of the crimes committed by the temple and the substandard living conditions in the commune. Which, from what I heard, were horrible. (laughs) Horrifying. While scrutiny of Jim was increasing, 
he decided to hire a couple of JFK assassination conspiracy theorists. Of course he and this did. just like it it's one of those things where we've had these moments plenty of times where if it wasn't so tragic and the end result, it would be almost comical because right. like this man was so determined to convince others that there was a conspiracy like he literally went to like known conspiracy theorists that are, you know, Dealing with, like, the JFK assassination bullshit. And, like, hey. He called up this dude named Mark Lane and his buddy Donald Freed. And they were tasked with helping make it look like there was a grand conspiracy against the temple. Jim wanted it to look like the U.S. intelligence agencies, all of them, were out to get him. Lane was told by Jim that he wanted to, quote, pull an Eldridge Cleaver. Referring, and I didn't know about this. Well, I, I, it sounded familiar, but I couldn't, like, recall it. But that is referring to a fugitive member of the Black Panthers who was able to repair his reputation enough to be welcomed in the States again. Because he did some not-so-great things. He had some militant views and pulled yes. some shit, but at the end of the day, <laughs> he's no Jim Jones. So, and this, but Jim was trying to recreate the same kind of, like, acceptance back into the thick of things again, because ultimately, I think he knew that, like, if he wasn't able to come back to the States, right. this wasn't sustainable, what he was trying to build. Oh, no, absolutely. At least not in the way that he was rapidly trying to build it. Not in the way he wanted. Right. Um, so, in October of 1978, a Soviet consul that was stationed in Guyana actually spent two whole damn days at Jonestown and gave a speech, but not before Jim got up there and stated, quote, For many years, we have let our sympathies be quite publicly known that the United States government was not our mother, but that the Soviet Union was our spiritual motherland. He's quote. just trying to kiss their butt. I know people like that. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> um, the consul was, um, of course, they were, impressed by this, declaring Jonestown to have been in harmony of theory with Marx, Engels, Lenin, and the practical implementation of some fundamental features of this theory. Jim walked away from this experience with nothing more than a glowing review and <laughs> many personal thanks. However, he didn't get what he wanted because Jonestown was not allowed permission to resettle in the Soviet Union. I feel like he got, like, the pizza party equivalent of this whole, like, interaction. Absolutely. Like, he just worked, like, a 16-hour shift. your shift. little Caesars. Yes. <laughs> okay, bye. No raises for you. Exactly. Yep. That's what it kind of, like, the vibe it gave off to oh. me. Which, again, it's one of those things where, like, if it wasn't so tragic, this would be a... a Almost we're only forward. laughing because we're painting it like a cartoon. Because if you actually get down to the nuts and bolts of it, this is terrifying yeah. what this man did. Well, and honestly, I don't think And this is the beginning of the terror, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like oh. I really don't think that there's enough coverage and talk like discussions that are about cults and things like that. And especially with like today and just how information is like available at our fingertips but we don't we can't trust that information and it's really scary mm -hmm. and you know like we've said like i have somewhat of an interesting pers different perspective at the very you least you do you have that things, extra caveat to it you know and so like i think that i think that we we need to talk about these things and it's hard to talk about nobody you know again like my mom said if you if you don't talk about it and discuss it 
it's going to be forgotten. Things like this will yeah. just continue to happen and we'll continue to be surprised by and it. And while it's tragic, like, we need to learn from this. Because these kinds of people, these kinds of men are not going away. Sadly. For Christ's sake, we just had one as a president. <laughs> like, Jesus. Sips, drink. So, Jim continued the drugs in Jonestown. Because, of course, he did. How would you even get them there? Did you just fly them in a crate? I, I mean, have a lot of questions. It doesn't seem like... It It didn't seem hard, honestly. He probably just took them there. Like, Well, this looked to me like it was an airstrip, so I suppose yeah. you could just fly in whatever you want. That's kind of what I was thinking. It gave me, like, narco vibes, like, big time. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> that one airstrip in Ohio that's just, like, yeah. in the trees. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, his paranoia increased more and more as time went on. He became incredibly fearful of the commune getting raided by the government and that they wouldn't be able to defend themselves against an attack. Oh, and so hurt. this triggered his need to start holding drills so he could test the readiness of his community members. He would just start yelling out, alert, alert, alert. He'd put it over the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over a loudspeaker. And just do it over and over until mm-hmm. everybody showed up. And this was the signal for members to gather into the central pavilion. They were surrounded by armed guards, which is where they would stay throughout the remainder of the drill. And during these quote-unquote white nights, Jim would tell his followers that they were actively surrounded by enemies about to be destroyed. Sometimes guards would actually fire their weapons from the forest to make it more believable. The planning this man went through with these like schemes is just... Staggering, almost. I'm tired just thinking about it. There was one time a drill lasted for six days. Six days. And it wasn't until the fuck out of here that it was over that Jim told them that everything was fake, and that it was just a drill. And these served a dual purpose. He absolutely was trying to like figure out where contained, they stood. Contained by terror. Yeah, yeah And it kept them fearful. Of ven- it also kept them fearful from venturing out of the commune. Absolutely. Because then they're like, well, we don't know what's out there. If people were like, what if people actually were trying to shoot at us, though? It's quite mm-hmm. possible that they are. They were surrounded by jungle. Right. And from what we saw, we did watch like a really quick documentary. It's like thick ash jungle. Like yeah. it is rainforest. Granted that's definitely like reclaimed territory now, but if it's any indication of what it was like even remotely like Well I just imagine leaving that. like the mowed down part and just hitting like a giant wall it, of trees. <laughs> right, which is exactly what it would be. No thank you. Um so early in nineteen seventy eight Jonestown was actually visited by the US Embassy twice. And the IRS began looking into them around that same time. Uh-uh. At this point, Jim is convinced that the attack that he had always feared was imminently approaching. He decided to hold yet another white knight drill, only this time he gave everyone a cup of fruit punch and told his followers that he had spiked the juice with poison so they could commit a mass suicide. Jim had been conditioning his members to accept that suicide was their, basically, their only means of escape. Um, Jim watched while his followers wept and waited for death, because they drank that shit, so there's that. Um, He took his time before he told everybody that it was just a drill. Again, he was actively working towards convincing his people that the CIA was out to get them and wanted to destroy everything that they had built. That they would likely have no choice but to lay down their lives for Jim's vision. 
I imagine that he just really took in the scene. I feel like he probably really got off on that oh. shit. That's the ultimate power move, right? Oh, for like sure. you just had how many people willing to drink poison on your behalf? Like I just I And can't. yes, they wept, but they still did it. So Right. It's it's gross. so it, it's gross <laughs> and it makes me so sad that nobody I think in that documentary we watched one it was about the survivors going back to where Jonestown was there was a couple of them that kind of like led us through all of this and the one guy mentioned how like um how quick everybody was able to like just lay down and not even think twice about it Mm -hmm. and how he was like totally committed right up until the end yep it's just sad. One of the survivors in the documentary was one of the guys we'll hear at the end who yeah. just went booking off into the forest and I'm like I'm just I can't believe it. Yeah it's. This it's is wild. where the drink the Kool-Aid comes from because mm-hmm. they did it and they did it. I mean maybe not willingly but they did it subserviently. Yeah. And from what we understand there were several drills where there was poison drinking and things like that. And like every, that wasn't the first and yeah. then almost every one people were like oh okay. Yep. <laughs> Jonestown was suffering by the time we got to the year 1978, and it continued a path of self-destruction. The community of followers were expected to perform tasks of manual labor all day and well into the evening. There were loudspeakers set up throughout the community, and that would just blast sermons in a loop at Gym all sermons. hours of the day. <laughs> Him just screaming into the microphone, essentially. There wasn't enough food to properly feed the amount of people that there was, so meals meals were sparse, children were being nutritionally starved, people would often go hungry. The people of Jonestown were overworked, exhausted, and famished. Now keep in mind that the population was made up of a weird mix of a lot of minors and elderly, and there was definitely some in the middle, but... There were, because I, I found a website, which we're going to link, which just broke my heart, yeah. but you can go through each person who passed away in Guyana in this massacre, and if they have a photo, like an intake photo, it will list that. It'll list all their pertinent information, mm-hmm. but there were multiple babies born in Jonestown. Yeah. Who don't even have a photo. Right. And stuff like that's just, they didn't even have a chance. Like, right. what? And the thing I is. I hate you guys. <laughs> well, and he, he was just torturing I hate them. them. It was. It was just torture. Like, because at that point, Jim was intentionally depriving everyone of sleep. Because between the work hours, between the sermon screaming, and the white night drills. Well, and it was like, everybody that I looked at that was like my age or to like 18 years old had about 16 jobs yeah how well they had like elderly ladies baking all night and you had to attend church you couldn't skip church so it's like when when was there time for sleep and again this was all part of the plan why would you want to sleep in the jungle on a cot like no thank you he would just preach for hours and hours denying anyone a moment of rest all of this seemed to have affected him to an extent as well. That or the drug use just became harder to hide from the congregation. I think because they were all in one spot. Right. He began giving really erratic orders and would sometimes be caught slurring his words a little bit, which mm-hmm. all of this checks. I mean, and even with any with any kind of habit, drug habit, alcohol, any sort of anything, like the use is going to become much more apparent the more time you spend with people. Especially if it's 24-7, And you're just screaming at them that you're God and how they must obey you. Um, so, 
this part also makes, I mean, all of this, I feel like I just keep saying, this part makes me sad, but it's literally every it's part. It's the whole thing. It's all sad. Um, in November of 1978, Congressman Leo Ryan heads to Guyana to check some things out. You might remember he was the one that wrote to the Guyanese Prime Minister on behalf of Timothy Stowen and his missing son. He traveled with some relatives of current Temple members, an NBC camera crew, and reporters from various newspapers. So he had an on—I—I I, I don't want to say entourage, but he had a group. Yeah, a, a largish group. Yeah, of people. It—it—it it, it seemed as if there was maybe like ten or so. Yeah, time, ten to fifteen. Um, their mission was to investigate the allegations of abuse that had been alleged from several sources. Jim had a reception put together for the group when they arrived. During the event, an NBC reporter got handed a note that was actually originally meant for Congressman Ryan. The note was written by a man named Vernon Gosney, and he was asking for help. Hmm. Yep. He had basically like an SOS. Yeah. Uh, he and another follower named Monica Begby wanted to leave the commune, but couldn't on of their own volition, basically. Tensions from that moment just started to rise as whispers spread the word that some people actually did want out of Jonestown. And, you know, I read in another article, I don't remember which one, but something mentioned that um, Jim and the congregation, like, did not want this to happen. That, like, right. Congressman Ryan reached out to, like, plan this, so it wasn't a surprise. Mm-hmm. And they at first said no. And then they said yes. And I think this is why. Because on the 18th of November, literally a day after their arrival, Congressman Ryan is attacked by a temple member named Don Sly. Ryan avoided getting stabbed, but barely. So the group gets their shit together and they go to fucking leave. They managed to round up about 15 members that wanted to go with them because, like Suze mentioned just now, there were people who wanted out. They, but they didn't know how. They didn't have their passport. Yep. They literally were not able to leave that country. Right. Like, so it was really odd because Jim made zero attempt to stop anyone from leaving. As the group begins to board their planes, there were two of them. Armed guards from Jonestown. It was literally, we just watched in a, the documentary, it was a yeah. tractor with a flatbed trailer yep. full of men with guns. Yep. Like, what the fuck? They came in and they began to surround them and they just started shooting. And while shots are being fired from all around them, one of the 15 defectors pulled out a weapon and started shooting inside of one of the planes. It became clear that this was a setup. So, hence why all of a sudden Jim was like, yeah, sure, come on here's down. your passport, see you later, bye. Congressman Ryan is killed in this attack, along with four others, while 11 more members of the group suffered injuries. One of the casualties was a cameraman for NBC. His name was Bob Brown, and he was able to capture a few seconds of video footage right at the beginning of the assault, which is what Suze was mentioning that we watched. It was really terrifying because the camera was very obviously on the ground. This yep. man had been killed very early in the attack, yeah. but his camera, bless his heart, was still recording. So you could just see them jumping out of the trailer and just opening fire Literally. wherever. And there were a few survivors, and those who were left, they just ran into the jungle in the hopes that they could escape the gunfire, which a few of them did. Yep. Thank Thankfully. <laughs> um, so Jim gets word that this his plan was not 
successful. Not everyone in Congressman Ryan's party was killed. So obviously, at least to Jim, that meant that the U.S. government would soon find out what had happened, which meant, do, 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 obviously we're connecting the crazy dots, right. that the U.S. military would go to Guyana just to seize Jonestown, and he just couldn't have that. No. So, Jim gathers the entire community to the Central Pavilion, which was way more ginormous than I thought it was. <laughs> and he informed, excuse me, and he informed everyone that Congressman Ryan was dead. And that meant that it was only a matter of time before their home was invaded by the U.S. military and that safe passage to the Soviet Union was no longer a viable option for them because of the airstrip attack, which right. Jim had instigated. So what? Right. <laughs> it's only because it didn't. he didn't kill everyone. Right. That's literally what... What did he th- was the catalyst? I guess I was going to say, what did he think was going to happen? We know but of exactly. He thought he was going to be successful. Right. <laughs> um, he did. He stated, quote, we can check with Russia to see if they'll take us in immediately. Otherwise, we did. You think Russia's going to want us with all the stigma? End quote. Right. Crazy. What happens next was recorded by Jim himself and would later become known as the death tape. What we hear is off-putting and is several different people jim included arguing they all must commit revolutionary suicide jim had prepared for this already having stored a large amount of cyanide he obtained a jeweler's license and apparently you use cyanide to clean gold and so this gave him the ability to buy the shit in bulk and nobody fucking questioned it just like the white night drills, cups filled with grape flavorade and a mixture of Valium, which is used to treat anxiety, alcohol withdrawal, and provide sedation, chlorohydrate, which is a sedative used for short-time treatments of insomnia, cyanide, which is the rapidly acting and potentially deadly chemical, and fenugrin, 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 something like that. I think it's, fenugrin. It is a sedating antihistamine, pretty much. And also helps with insomnia. So you guys are catching the pattern here. Make you sleepy when this you die. This little cocktail, if you will, was passed around to all the members. He also sent the word out to those who were not at the compound via a ham radio. He reached out to Sharon Amos. She was a board member at the Temple headquarters in Georgetown. So not at the actual commune, but still in South America. And said, quote, you are going to meet Mr. Frazier. That's crazy. That he had code It gives me it. chills saying that, honestly, <laughs> because this was the code f- to kill everyone in the headquarters and then yourself. And she immediately tried to enact this. Um, those who were refused to do this were forcefully injected with, like, the mixture. When some members expressed dissent, Jim responded with... Quote, stop these hysterics. This is not the way for people who are socialists or communists to die. No way for us to die. We must die with dignity. Don't be afraid to die. You can hear him on the tape saying that death is, quote, just stepping over into another plane and that death is a friend. Susan and I didn't listen to the entire death tape because, quite frankly, I just don't I want that in my brain. I don't think I can do it because you can't bleach your brain, so... But what we... The little we did hear parts survivor like, documentary that we watched, what really is off-putting, in my opinion, and I feel like you'll probably... You agreed with me, yes. 
is that when you listen to these tapes, and honestly, like, it makes me kind of emotional because there's just such a state of chaos. You can hear children screaming. You can hear them crying. You can hear mothers and fathers tending to their children. You hear just random wails in the background, and then you just hear this calm, like, collected, collected and almost, like, like condescending in a way, like tone and cadence to Jim Jones' voice, basically telling everybody to suck it the fuck up and die already. And it's really, really off-putting, and I don't like it, and I don't honestly suggest you reach, you look out for this. Again, though, everything is available on the interwebs. We can't I'll, stop you. We're going to link it all. You already yeah, know how we are. But you know I'll provide the information. The other part that got me was they all called him father. Yeah. Weird. I don't like it. Okay. Um, so, in yet another horrible twist, Jim ordered that all the children were to be killed first. His wife was upset with this decree and actually tried to protest his decision, but he had her forcibly restrained. Um, once her children were dead, all of the ones that were on premises, she proceeded to drink the cyanide. At the end of the tape, you can hear Jim say, quote, We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide, protesting the conditions of an inhumane world, end quote. By the end of this tragedy, over 900 members of Jonestown had died. Almost a third of that was children. Um, unfortunately, this number included John Stone, who was placed right outside Jim's home, which if you all remember, that was who Timothy was fighting for yeah. to get back. Um, there were some members that were able to survive, 85 in total. Some were able to escape into the jungle, right as Jim began the death ritual. Another man hid in a ditch, others hid in the dormitory. There was a group of 11 members that went on a picnic, and together they walked 35 miles to gain their freedom. Uh, there was one woman who actually slept through the entire event. I think it said she was elderly. She but I was, was like, bless yeah. her. <laughs> I know. Um, when she woke up the next day, she discovered the bodies of her family and other community members. She recalled, quote, There were all of those dead being put in bags, people I'd known and loved. God knows I never wanted to be there in the first place. I never wanted to go to Guyana to die. I didn't think Jim would do a thing like that. He let us down. The one quote. woman, Leslie, said that also in the thing that we watched. She specifically said that, like, during the white night drills, like, they would do it, but nobody actually thought that that would ever happen. Right. Nobody actually thought that Jim would force them to take their lives. To drink cyanide, yeah. Which I think really just speaks to their devotion and, like, what they truly thought. Like, they really thought that he was this, divi this divine being that was going to take care of them. Icky. It's awful. Icky. It's so awful. One of the... Um, this group of survivors includes three of Jim's sons. They were out of the town in, like, I think more, like, in Georgetown proper. Like, in downtown Georgetown, yeah. if you will. There was a basketball tournament of some kind taking place, and Stephen received the phone call from his dad. He was told that it was time to meet Mr. Frazier, and that he and his two brothers needed to find a way to kill themselves immediately. I've also seen some sources that said that James Jr. got the call, um... We did just watch the documentary that said it was Jim yeah. Jr., but Either for all way. intents and purposes, the group of sons received the call right. to go to Mr. Frazier. And so. I've watched interviews that James 
Junior has done before, and he is very candid and literally said that he and his brothers were like, expected no. to find a way to kill themselves immediately. That's and crazy. Instead, they drove to the U.S. Embassy and alerted the authorities, which I think had to have been very difficult of a decision for them to make. Well, that's basically going against everything you've known for your whole life. Right. Well, in I, one of the interviews I watched was Oprah. And mm-hmm. James Jr., she asked him, if you were there, like, if you were actually, like, inside Jonestown when this happened, do you think you would have drank it? And he was like, yeah, I do. It's like, my mom, like, my family, my brother, like... Well, we did hear from one of the survivors, apparently there were syringe marks and people that wanted to yeah. not drink the Kool-Aid. Because so. I, think, I think we might have even mentioned it earlier, is that mm-hmm. there was, like, forceful injections. It was forcibly, into your mouth or into your veins. They, it didn't matter. They were doing it one Absolutely. way or another. Like, the one survivor, Leslie, said, this wasn't all suicides. There were murders that took place. Oh, and quite sure. frankly, I think that it can all be classified as a murder, And as far as I'm concerned. Me too. Because I don't think these people would have made these decisions had they not been completely manipulated and tortured right. for however long they were there. Oh, no, you're right. That's the thing that's crazy, too. And I think that it's easy to forget that these people up until this point were literally, like, sleep deprivation is one of the worst things that we as humans could, like, experience. Well, that's torture. It's a form of torture. Between that and not eating and working all day, like... Right, absolutely. So, these guys go to the embassy, and they were not allowed to um, go anywhere (laughs) once the Guyanese soldiers, like, learned about the shooting of of Congressman Ryan and his party, because they were very transparent with, like, what happened, so the three brothers drove, eventually they got released, and they drove to the Temple headquarters since they were already in Georgetown. They had come upon Sharon Amos and her three children. All of their throats had been slashed. And I actually read an article that stated that she had went into the headquarters. Nobody else was willing to do it. So she rounded up her three kids, and she had two young kids, like minors, and a daughter that was, like, 21. So Sharon killed her two younger kids, and then her and her oldest daughter took out each other. That's horrible. It was horrifying to read. So the local military kept the brothers under strict house arrest for a period of five days, during which they were interrogated about the airstrip shooting. Rightfully so. I get it. Stephen was actually accused of being involved and was in prison there for three months. They also kept Jim Jones Jr. under surveillance, despite him living with his sister um, after all of this happened. She had already previously denounced their father and his teachings. Those members that were not a part of the basketball team were tasked with returning to Jonestown, or who were part of the basketball team. They were tasked with returning to Jonestown with authorities and had to assist in identifying the bodies, which would be really difficult. I, and honestly, I feel just because everybody that did survive, the 80 80 other people, or however other many people that just scattered into the forest, like, it it was days probably before they were found, you know what I mean? Like, woof. And eventually, authorities discovered a cache of firearms and hundreds of passports stacked together. That pisses me off. Mm-hmm. Take my passport, I'll break your arms off. <laughs> um, so, for once, 
in a show of support, yeah. the Guyanese military and the U.S. military worked together to get an airlift organized so all of the remains could actually be returned to the United States for burial. They did, upon closer inspection, find Jim dead on the stage that was in the central pavilion, so on his throne, if you will. Mm-hmm. He died from what is believed to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Um, when they performed an official autopsy of his body, they found high levels of phenobarbital, a barbiturate, in his system. This amount was so high that it would have killed a normal person. However, <laughs> Mr. Jim Jones did have a very high tolerance for this kind of thing, right. so apparently he was like, wee. <laughs> Jim had thought of everything, even what Asshole. to do with any assets that the temple may have had, which just cements... The theory that this was always his end game. Like this was always the plan. I be, I at some point it this is where his end goal like this was the culmination of it. Where it came to fruition, if you will. He before okay, so before her death, Marceline signed paperwork that stated everything was to be given to the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Arrangements were already made for $7.3 million. That's so much money. $29 million in 2020 cash to be transferred to the Soviet embassy in Guyana. A small portion of this, approximately $680,000, equal to 2.9 mil now, was held back in cash. And there were three separate couriers hired to transport the cash to the Soviets, but they were arrested before they could complete their mission. And that was actually one of the survivors that Suze had mentioned. He was one of the ones that were tasked with running the money through the He jungle. was like, I literally thought that's what I was supposed to do, like, with mm-hmm. my life. Like, this was my end game. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, there was so much coverage in the media regarding the mass suicide um, that they actually began to refer to it as the Jonestown Massacre, which is how I know it. Mm-hmm. Um, as more and more people learned about what truly took place within the temple, they began to push back against the idea that they were somehow responsible for all the deaths. Jim had attempted to place blame on outsiders of the church, and the public was like, nope, we are not having it. No. Um, The Soviet Union distanced themselves from the entire situation, publicly stating that they did not agree with Jim's bastardization of the concept of revolutionary suicide and communism as a whole. Several American Christian leaders labeled Jim Jones as a Satanist, claiming that his teachings were not connected to traditional Christianity in any way, shape, or form, which I find accurate. <laughs> oh, for sure. The disciples of uh, Christ, they were beginning to implement some changes into their requirements regarding like their mis- ministerial ethics, in addition to a process for removing ministers, hmm. if ever necessary. They also too little, went- too late. <laughs> right. Hindsight's twenty twenty, I guess. <laughs> they also went on to publicly distance themselves from the temple and expelled them formally from their denomination. As they should. I just think it's so funny. We're seeing, like, all the dominoes fall. One and not funny, one. haha, like, funny, like... It's just, Ironic. Yeah. Like, of course this is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, as is tradition... Here in America, <laughs> people headed to the People's Temple in San Francisco. They were surrounded by media, angry protesters, family members of those who had died. There were rumors that some supporters of the temple were attempting to target critics of the church. 
law enforcement protected members of the media and anyone else um, who could have been on the short list of temple enemies. Temple supporters tried to explain themselves, but found it, ad- shockingly, to be mm-hmm. sort of difficult. Um, it was hard to explain that they had been tricked by Jim, that he had successfully manipulated literally all of them into believing in him. Mm-hmm. Those that were in positions of political power, like President Carter and Mayor Moscone, um, were quite upset when they found out and publicly removed themselves from the temple's inner circle. Mayor Moscone allegedly became physically ill at the news and immediately started calling the families of the victims, attempting to apologize. Again, too little, too late. (laughs) I can only imagine, though, having to be one of the people who were, like, in San Francisco, for example, and while you had gotten the the call to meet Mr. Frazier and you chose not to, how do you explain all of that, you know? Like, how do you explain that you were completely... The people in Jonestown obviously couldn't say, like, I didn't know because they were there. I suppose if you were far enough removed in San Francisco. Obviously, he wasn't holding evacuation drills in downtown San Francisco. Right, absolutely. I don't think, anyways. That's a fair point. But still, I'd be like, (laughs) (laughs) no, thank you. The FBI and Congress, they began their own investigations into the massacre. The question really just became, why didn't anyone do anything when the allegations Literally were anyone, made? Anyone. Why did it seem that no one seemed to care that these people were being abused and manipulated and brainwashed? It, It's just, it blows my mind that they literally were handed so much like you didn't even check that's the thing like it took up to congressman ryan going and having to put his own life at risk literally on the line to go and be like maybe there is something to this like jim second in command he was left to deal with all of this aftermath all the fallout he was in san francisco and he like before this happened he was taking up like a leadership position at the headquarters there in the beginning of the aftermath he tried to deny any participation in the deaths and he alleged that it was nothing more than a plot against the temple conceived by their enemies like this motherfucker really tried to be like that didn't happen You've got to be fucking kidding me, bro. Like father, like son? He came later to admit the truth. And he is on the roster of people remembered on that website. Mm. Yeah. Um, so there was actually only one person tried in the United States for their involvement in this massacre. It was a man named Larry Layton. He was found guilty on counts of committing conspiracy, of aiding and abetting in the murder of Congressman Leo Ryan, and attempted murder of a U.S. Embassy official. He was sentenced to life in prison, but somehow was released in 2002. For the most part, the People's Temple didn't last long post-massacre. However, there were some cuckoo clocks that (laughs) continued to follow Jim's teaching into the 1980s. That's literally when I was born. So that ain't that long ago. (laughs) Um, Now, we're aware that what Jim Jones was running was really nothing more than a cult that manipulated and abused its members into believing that he was the God and also their God. While there may have been good intentions in the beginning, things got wildly out of hand, and over 900 innocent people lost their lives for this goddamn stupid-ass man's ego trip. Yeah. 
really burns my britches. It's really sad and it's really scary and it's so easy to get swept up in these kinds of things and... Again, though, you talk about the ultimate long con. Like, this man was in it. A lot of religions... I'm not... I don't want to be like, every religion's a con because, like, (laughs) while I might not necessarily agree with organized religion, I understand people needing, like, a purpose in their life. Right. And I'm never... I'm not going to judge somebody for that. In my experience, though, it... It was. <laughs> it was a con. And it's really hard and it's really tough and it's really scary. And on the off chance that anybody ever hears my voice saying these words to you and you feel like you're in a situation that you need to get out of but you can't, like, I don't know, the Jehovah's Witness religion or something else like that, <laughs> like, you know, reach out. I've found some resources that help. I'm going to list some resources. I try to do that in episodes that kind of touch on really sensitive things like this. Right. And make sure there's some resources in our description for you because anybody, you never know. Because it, and, and it's one thing to read it. And then we watched a documentary and just to see it. Because they actually took footage of all of it. It's, it's just mind boggling to me. The sense of loss for no reason. That happened because this of this man's crazy ideologies. And people, that's just one person making up his own religion. want to think that it's so obvious. Far-fetched. And, and that, like, yeah, and far-fetched that, like, these aren't things happen. that happen. Like, they do. And they're still <laughs> happening. For sure. Like, and it's scary and it's real. And I think that's it's important that we tell these stories. And I do urge you guys to go check out, you know, the different... In memory of. It's very moving. It's a very powerful experience. It was a lot, yeah. It was a lot. It was an emotionally a lot, but at the end of the day, that's what we're doing this for, right? We want to make sure that we can try to help educate the people. People like those hopeful smiles. I don't want them to ever be forgotten. Right. Granted, their faith was unfounded in that person. It's not their fault, though. You could never hold them responsible. They just went along for the ride. They were just looking for something to believe in, and... He gave the people what they wanted. It's crazy. Horrible, man. So there we have it, Oof, my dudes. That's Jim Jones. Wowee. Our first cult episode is officially in the books. Mm-hmm. As always, thank you guys so much for listening and giving us some of your precious time. We appreciate the support so very much. So much. You can find us on the social medias. We've got the podcast at Crime and Spirits Pod on Instagram and Facebook, at Crime Spirits Pod on Twitter. If you guys are interested in us as people, feel free to follow us on Instagram. I am at Brie underscore not the cheese. Brie is spelled B-R-E-E. And I'm Suze, not Susan. And guys, if you could just do us a really quick favor, give us a review of any kind. If you use Apple, that would be extra helpful. They seem to be like the number one thing in podcasts, if you will. (laughs) And also, like, we would just really like, you know, the feedback. Let us know what you guys like, don't like, you know, let us know. Give us a shout. We got our first review. We did. Pretty sure I know who it's from, but I I don't care. It was good, though, and we love it. I'm excited. It it (laughs) makes my day when we check things out. It's true. Thank you so very much. We appreciate you for being here. We do. And we've got some fun, spooky things planned for October. So look out for that. And we love you, and good night. Bye.